Hello and welcome to episode 43 of the Reds Unrestricted podcast. My name's Dan Club. I'm going to be your host this week. It's Thursday the 2nd of December and we're going to be looking back on a monumental derby victory for Liverpool. This podcast is part of the Big Heads Media Podcast Network. Go to bigheadsmedia.com for more great podcasts. So as ever, I'm joined, I say as ever, we've got a new co-host now, so it is going to be as ever from this point on. Um, I'm joined by Chloe Bloxham and Dave Comerford. Um, I'll start with you, Chloe, I guess some initial reaction. How are you doing? Um, you must be good. Yeah, I'm absolutely loving life at the moment, uh, to be honest. I mean, I didn't get much sleep, but that's not absolutely dragging me down in any way. I, the adrenaline of it has is, is got me through absolute no sleep. Yeah, no sleep is uh, not necessarily a concern today, um, and sleep is definitely low on the priority list. Dave, same question to you, mate. How are you doing? How are you feeling? Oh well, I'm I'm just basking in it. I've uh, I watched obviously the game live, and then match of the day started about uh, half an hour maybe after I'd sort of stopped watching the coverage, and then I watched the game again in full this morning. So really milking it, yeah, and I'm uh, looking forward to. Uh, getting our season to it today yeah that's it and it was you know obviously this as three Liverpool fans we're gonna bask in the glory of a derby win but regardless of who that win was against last night it was a properly you know high quality performance with some high quality goals I'll start with you Chloe Uh, your three word match review from last night please Merry Christmas Everton (laughs) of course Uh, (laughs) and yeah just any thought just just give me a sort of brief lowdown on the game we're going to dig into sort of individual performances but just how you think the game went and why Liverpool were so dominant I think first 20-25 minutes we absolutely blew them away yeah they probably didn't help themselves with how bad they played but Liverpool were absolutely all over them it controlled the game in every aspect and we played some world-class football and when we're on that level no one can get near us I mean City like a City maybe can but um, we can blow anyone away on the day when, when we play like that. Um, but last 15 of the half, I think we we played into the hands of Everton, to be honest. We, it was a bit like ping pong. Um, you could see them getting more on the ball, uh, the crowd getting up a bit. And instead of us just taking the sting out the game and passing it round and just keeping possession, uh, we didn't. And we played into the hands of Everton. Everton get a scruffy goal, which we should be dealing better with. Um, but at the end of the day, it was it was a brilliant overall performance from us. Yeah, it was. And you, you're right to highlight that 15 minutes because it was frustrating more than anything because I think we should have been out of sight in that game. You know, you look at the chances we had early on. Matip should score, arguably, in the first couple of minutes. Salah should probably score yeah. a few minutes after. So we should have been out of sight long before that. And to let them back in before half-time just felt like a kick in the teeth. But obviously we reacted like we did second half and also just before I come to you Dave I think you're right to mention the fact that there's been a lot of sort of criticism aimed towards Everton today um maybe rightly so in, in terms of what's gone on recently for them and obviously the Benitez factor but for me I think it was something Ali McCoyce was sort of highlighting in the game that we could have done that to anyone last night like that wasn't necessarily an Everton problem yeah they were a bit culpable at times but we were, you know, rampant. That could have been anyone we were playing, and I think we'd have took them apart. So it's important to remember that. But I'll come to you, Dave, your three-word match review and same sort of initial reaction on it. Well, when I was thinking about the review for this, I, want, I was really wanting to make it um, 
I don't know, a particularly special one to to mark the victory. But in the end, I, I hit on one which I thought kind of, you know, summed it up perfectly. And it and I thought someone else might say it, and it is the exact same as Chloe's. <laughs> um, so I think that's that's the first of the podcast that I've gone with um, the same one. Merry Christmas, Everton. Um, I'm a huge fan of that chance, I have to say. But yeah, just another, you know, historic night, I think, in Klopp's tenure, the biggest win. At Goodison Park um, for Liverpool since 1982, I think. And uh, I found out this morning the first time we've won at Goodison Old Trafford in the same season since 03 04, um, which shocked me to be honest, especially given the quality of some of the teams we've had uh, in that period. And I think it was just in the context of what happened there last season, it was just so, so satisfying. Um, you know, if you actually think back to that game, you have two pretty horrendous challenges um, that go in. Van Dijk's ruled out for, and it ends up being about nine months um, with that tackle, which goes completely unpunished. And yes, Richarlison did get sent off for his tackle, but we didn't see Thiago from, I think, the start of October until basically the end of December. And not only that, after all of that happens, you have us essentially being robbed um, of of a winner in the game. Um, through an offside decision, which he, I mean, he just wasn't, he just wasn't offside, um, almost objectively, to be honest. Um, it, it was a, internally in the realms where it was, it was guesswork. So I was the extra desperate to win last night because of that and how painful that was. But when it got to, um, sort of the hour mark, I was almost beginning to brace myself for the Everton equaliser, to be honest. And I think the moment where that peaked was the free kick that Townsend got. I think Gordon dived uh, to win it. But even still, there was that sort of moment. I think to myself, oh, God, we're going to concede any second here. And having watched the game back this morning, I don't think it was particularly poor from us um, to let it get to that stage. I think the... The flow of the game was disrupted at 2-0. Um, and, you know, there was a few stoppages and stuff. So it wasn't necessarily us allowing it to drift. Um, I think it was more just that one defensive lapse. You know, we basically left a, a huge gap for, for Gray to run through in our defence. And that's what made it maybe a little bit uncertain for the period of the game. But, yeah, then we obviously had the ruthless uh, finish from Salah after pouncing on uh, on Coleman's error. And that's really the so the relief sets in, and then we put the gloss in it with Jota's goal. And uh, yeah, that goal was the fourth of uh, four world class finishes as well, all brilliant goals on the night. So yeah, um, a hugely hugely satisfying win. And like I say, I think um, one of the because I mean really the the winner the Goodson in 2016, whilst you know it's brilliant to win a derby so late on, it was a very Scrappy win. I mean, the goals are yeah. rebound off the post, you know, to win and to underline the golfing, golfing class like that, you know, you could argue is is even more satisfying. Yeah, definitely. Um, and, and there was a golfing class pretty much throughout. I do think, you know, we not, literally took our foot off the gas. I just think it got a bit sloppy and it allowed Everton back into the game at period. Um, you know, pains me to say it, but you've got to credit. Richarlison and Damari Gray for their goal. You know, it's a good pass and it's a decent enough finish under Allison. Um, 
But you're right to sort of highlight that stat in terms of not winning at Goodison or Trafford. Um, it doesn't surprise me that much because it's felt like a long for a long time since we really turned up at either. Um, and obviously we've done, we've definitely turned up at both grounds this season. So yeah, pretty emphatic stuff. Um, my three words review will be pleased to know is different to your two, and I do love that. Um, is Jordan Henderson masterclass because I think it was befitting because I think he was outstanding. And it takes us nicely into the next segment of the show, which is Jordan Henderson's performance. Um, as you can tell by my review, I thought he was outstanding. I We're going to ask the question in a second whether it was his best performance of the season and one of his best in a Liverpool shirt. For me, I haven't assessed every single performance he's had since he's been with us, um, but it was right up there. And to do it in a derby with so much at stake, given everything that went on last year, I thought it was top class and I, I think it probably is his best ever for Liverpool. Um, Dave, I'll come immediately back to you. Um, thoughts on Henderson last night? Do you know, what's interesting is that we've seen Henderson performances before and I think this is often the case on like a huge European night at Anfield where he's sort of in the thick of the midfield battle and he seems to be winning all his duels and it's, you know, just that really sort of passionate, aggressive performance. But Last night was different because I think it was just a performance that was full of technical quality. Yeah. And that that's you know, the finish for the goal, the way he sort of pitches the ball outside um the left hand post and then it just curls back inside past Pickford. You know, the the weight he plays on the pass to Salah mm-hmm. for his assist. And then there was just moments in the game as well where he's, you know, manoeuvring out of tight situations with uh, with clever touches. So I think in terms of the other performances, it'll be ranked alongside. It was quite unique in a way. Um, but certainly, it'll be a performance that when he retires, will be looked back on, I think, um, you know, as a, as one as one of the greats uh, from him. And I also thought, you know, just generally, it was, it was quite poetic um, for him to get his goal. Um, because he, obviously, like I mentioned at the start yeah. of the episode, how he was denied it. In, in pretty ludicrous circumstances last year, so um, that was some nice um, some circularity, I suppose. But yeah, um, just a really, really impressive performance, Henderson. I think one that um, again demonstrates his. Uh, I think McCoyst alluded to this in in commentary. Just demonstrates the the side of his game that is um, sorely underrated, beyond his sort of um, intangible qualities. Yeah, definitely. It was a performance packed with quality. It really was. You know, he was at the heart of everything and doing things that we haven't really seen him do all that often, if we're going to be honest. And um, we're used to his sort of industry and his running and his leadership. But when he's, you know, Megs in Lucadinia to put a decent cross in, you know, that's a different side to Jordan Henderson that was just a joy to watch. Um, Chloe, same questions to you. Where do you rank this? How good was he? And where do you rank this in terms of Jordan Henderson for Liverpool? He was the best player on the pitch for me. I know Salah gets two goals and, you know, he's the best in the world right now. But that Jordan Henderson performance um, was one of the best he's ever he's ever put in. Uh, I don't want to say it is his best because I think a lot of his performances do go under the radar because he is a midfielder who is known for his work rate and a lot of the things and the technical ability um, and everything like that gets lost because of just how much you see him run, uh, his leadership factors. Um, but 
across everything last night. He was absolutely superb. I think just look at that ball to Salah for the goal. The weight on that pass, it's not an easy pass. He fizzes that pass and yet it's somehow got the, the perfect weight on it. Um, it's got the, the correct angle for Salah to just run on, open his body when he takes a touch. Um, I think, you know, the passing, the interception, and you want one thing to some Jordan Henderson off, you know, he, a ball gets done down the line to him and Coleman beats him to it, and it's a ball that Jordan Henderson should never win. And yet, even though Coleman's now trying to go up the left-hand side of the pitch, um, Jordan Henderson just doesn't let him. Jordan Henderson tracks him down and Jordan Henderson wins that ball back. Yeah. He gets it out for a throw in and that is Jordan Henderson written all over. You know, people might not talk about his technical ability, but a lot of people didn't talk about Lucas Lever's technical ability and I'm not saying that these two are the same calibre of players, but what I am saying is the people who we love in this football club are the people who wear the badge with pride, who know what mm-hmm. it means to support, well, to play for this team, who knows what it means to the supporters, and Jordan Henderson knows exactly what it means to everyone. He embodies this football club, and I'm so, so happy that he's my captain. I'm proud of him. Like, I don't know him, and I'm proud of him because... He got a lot of criticism at the beginning of his his career, and maybe rightly so, and maybe that actually built him to be the player he is now. Maybe mm. all mm. those words being thrown at him actually made him build this barrier of being an absolute wall when it comes to mentality, and it's made him the captain that he is. Um, and it's also the, the fact that you look throughout the game and he's screaming at Trent, he's telling Trent di- uh, directions, you know, if, if you do something wrong, he's fuming at you. And that's what you want. You want that. You want the passion. You want the leadership. Um, and obviously some of the passes that he's doing is incredible. The finish is outrageous. Uh, some of the crosses, um, obviously Salah's assist. And he was just absolutely non-stop. He covered every inch of that pitch. Um, and yeah, it's it's one of his best performances so far. Um, I'd put it in top three for sure. Um, I'm pretty sure he would. Uh, but saying that, I mean, you can also think the likes of Barcelona, where he probably gets overlooked in that game as well. But he's absolutely mm-hmm. phenomenal. Um, so yeah, we've we've seen we know exactly what we're gonna get from Jordan Anderson. We know he's got the technical ability, but he's not always given the license to do that. And I think um, the right hand side triangle with Salah, Trent, and him, I think that makes him come alive. We saw with Harvey Elliott when he plays, you're kind of muting, in a sense, or limiting uh, Jordan Henderson's play because he's on the left side of a midfield three and he's right-footed. But the interlinking play with those other two players on the right-hand side is is unbelievable. They know exactly where each other's going to be. They know the runs that each other's going to make. And Jordan Henderson's always going to find you with a pass. He's always... You know, a lot of people moaned about him going back from time to time. He was always on the front foot. He's always recycling the ball. Um, and he's always making sure that we've all got a calm head, maybe in, in a moment where a lot of fans don't in the stadium. So, yeah, credit to him and what a performance. Yeah, I couldn't agree more, to be honest with you. I think you've summed it up perfectly. And you're right to mention almost a license he had to play last night because it's something me and Dave discussed a few weeks ago in terms of Henderson wasn't exactly, he didn't exactly start the season in his best form, in my opinion. And I think a lot of that was due to the role he was playing. But we've seen now, you know, two consecutive games with what I believe to be our best midfield um, with Fabinho at the base of it. And it does give Henderson that sort of freedom to go and express himself a little bit more. And 
the only performance you mentioned Barcelona at home, I think Southampton away in the purple kit was probably up there with what we seen last night. But like I say, I go on. Also, I think also City really puts the ball in from the right hand side for Manny's header. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. Fantastic by him again. I think you've got a load of them that slightly go under the radar because of the position he plays and, and the dirty work that he does. But mm. um Obviously, in a derby, you're going to be more highlighted because it's a it's a high profile game, isn't it? Yeah, definitely. Yeah, you are. You're dead right. And like I say, leadership so often comes to the fore in their matches because it can be quite, you know, hostile. And it was last night at certain times. I thought I thought there was a lot of you know crowd and the referee and what have you. So Henderson, not only in terms of his captaincy but in terms of his performance, was just you know top draw last night. It really was. Um, and part of that performance was an assist for a certain Mohamed Salah. Who just goes on? He doesn't even top the bill in our show because it's just become so normal now for him to, you know, be incredible. And he was incredible again last night. Two brilliant finishes. Um, we're going to open the discussion up slightly. We're going to talk about him last night, but we're going to open it up in terms of, you know, what he can get to this season because we've seen him do some crazy things already in Liverpool shirt. Um, so so far he's got 19 goals. Um, in 19 games across all competitions. Um, obviously, we're going to lose him in January for a period of time. I don't think it's as, as bad as, you know, some Liverpool fans are believing or what have you. I don't think we lose him for that long. I think it's two Premier League games, potentially. Um, I'll come back to you, Chloe, straight away on this. Uh, what can Salah achieve this season in terms of numbers? And just to give you a context, in 27-18, that remarkable season, he got 32 goals and 14 assists in the Premier League. This season so far, he's got 13 goals and nine assists. So by that, you might say he's on course to top it. Um, do you think that's possible? And if not, what do you expect him to get to? Anything's possible with Salah, um, and the reason is is because of his mentality as well. He never settles for uh, anything. I mean, I watched the the interview with Jurgen Klopp afterwards, and he was absolutely laughing his head off because he mentioned Mo Salah, and he mentioned Salah scoring two, but he came in the dressing room fuming at the fact that he hadn't got a third, and that's just what you want. It it's boss to see, and a lot of people can say it's greedy or whatever. No, he's a striker. He thrives with goals. He's one of the best there is around. He's the best in the world right now. I'm absolutely fine. You know, as long as it's not a really tight game where you know he's two on one and he most definitely should pass it. I'm absolutely fine with him being a bit greedy and holding the ball a bit, um, because I know he's going to come up with something absolutely brilliant. And even in the games where you know, you think, oh, he's not really done that much. He always pops up with something. Assist, um, his movement gives so much space for everyone else. The fact that a load of people try and mark him with two players, um, is his sharpness, his ability to turn on the ball. Because I didn't think he played unbelievable within the first 15 minutes of that game, 15-20. He got the ball and was losing it a bit. And then all it took was him to receive a ball and be on the half turn instantly. And then you saw the sharpness and then he kicked on from there. Um, I think Salah can break the record that he's set himself. Uh, and I, I believe it because you look in front of you now and to someone being sixth, uh, seventh in the Ballon d'Or, actually, you know, that's amazing. Of, of the players that you've got, the likes of Messi, Ronaldo, Neymar, Mbappe, all these players in the world. And he's not happy being sixth and he wants to be number one and he knows he should be higher. But 
like always, it feels he's got to go the extra mile to prove his worth. And I don't know why he has to, but he always has to. And it seems to be with everyone but Liverpool fans. Um, and yet Liverpool fans get the blame, even though we know how good he is. Hmm. I think he is underrated, even though he's seventh in the world in the Ballon d'Or. Um, so I definitely can win the Ballon d'Or. I reckon he can break the um, the goals tally in the Premier League. Uh, golden boot, I reckon you know he can do well in the UCL, Champions League. Um, the sky is the limit with, with Mo Salah in this form, with this desire, with this passion, with this ability. Um, he is unstoppable. Yeah, um, I, I echo every single word of that, to be honest with you. I think something that's important to highlight, you mentioned his desire to score goals and the fact he wasn't particularly, he wasn't enamoured with the fact he didn't get his hat-trick last night. I think as well as that, it's important to sort of realise that he wants to play every single game. And I know, you know, most players might say, oh yeah, I want to play every game, but he really does. I think we've seen that in sort of the, we've seen it in the week in the Champions League, Salah starts. And I think, you know, a lot of that will be him wanting to start and saying, no, I want to go for X amount of goals. I want to break these records. I want to keep playing and keep scoring. I actually think it suits him to do so in terms of his playing style. But, you know, his passion and his desire to play and score goals is just ridiculous at the moment. Um, so, Dave, Chloe's, you know, tipped Salah for Ballon d'Or glory. Um, I know he was reluctant to comment on it last night, um, which was quite funny in itself. But, would you say he's almost destined for it next year? Um, and also, you know, I've just mentioned the crazy numbers we've seen from in the past. Are they achievable again? I mean, I'll start with the second bit. I think, um, you know, I said a few weeks back, I went early on the call and said that, you know, he can get close to those numbers from his first season um, and be challenging them. I think, obviously, you know, there might be a slowing down, a slight slowing down, and that's just because of how ridiculous the race he's scoring at is now um, more than anything else. Um, so I think the major question mark is Afghan. The last I heard, it was still possible that um, the players will have to be released after the uh, Boxing Day game. Uh, so as far as I know, there's still uh, negotiations going on um, with the various associations um, to try and source it. So it's only going to be those couple of games in January. So that will probably play a large part. In terms of the Ballon d'Or, it was interesting that... Um, that Messi, I think, uh, singled him out and you know basically predicted that he would um, he would win it eventually. Um, same with with Lewandowski, and uh, I think if he maintains his current level or or even close to his current level, and we win either the Premier League or the Champions League, because you know whilst it isn't supposed to be an individual um, award, there is um, a heavy element, so obviously, of what players actually win um for them to be considered whether whether that's right or wrong and it's also hard to see anyone else winning the uh prime player of the year award at the moment like he's miles clear as it stands obviously a lot can change between now and the end of the season um but uh yeah certainly at this stage he's been the class of the field by far and you know i knew there would be a lot of incredulity um when it came out that he was seventh and I thought he deserved to be certainly, you know, two or three places higher than that. But it's not, it's not something that bothers me hugely. Um, especially because I know, and I think we saw evidence of that yesterday, that it is just going to fire them up. That's what happens with elite athletes when they get slighted and when they think they're not getting the respect they deserve. 
it just unlocks something in the middle lights of fire. Um, and I did think we uh, we saw that. And whilst it doesn't, as I say, it was, doesn't bother me too much, it would be extremely special, I think, um, to see Salah, you know, winning winning the award. I know we've had, um, obviously, a winner of it already um, at the start of the of the century, but to, yeah, to see to see Salah doing, I think, would be a moment that we could all we could all really savour, um, and certainly one of the the big achievements of the year, I suppose. So, yeah, and I think um, he's on he's on track for it. Um, we'll have to see how we do, how the rest of the season pans out. But certainly at this stage, it looks uh, very promising. Yeah, it does. Um, it really does. He, he's just outstanding. Like you say, you run out of superlatives, don't you? Although, incredulity and Lucas Lever in the same podcast, this is the best one we've ever done by far. Um, just to say as well, you mentioned sort of Salah's lighting the fire, given that you probably felt a little bit wronged um, for coming seventh in the Ballon d'Or. I think that shows as well, just to finish on the Salah point, well, not quite, but when we were struggling last season and probably in our darkest hour, um, about the same time we started the pod. Um, he was one of the first Liverpool players to sort of hit social media and say he was going to do everything in his power to sort of guide the club through it and make sure we finish the season in a positive way, um, which is obviously something he did and he delivered on with a lot of help from other players. But it just goes to show you though, how much he loves the club, um, how much he has desire within himself to do the best possible for this club. And you're probably right to touch on the fact that in adversity, he probably goes, all right, then I'm going to be the one to stand up and, and prove he's all wrong and to show everyone. So it's a really good point. Um, just to finish on the Salah topic, I'll come to you both dead quickly on this. Uh, greatest Liverpool player of all time, you know, we think Kenny Dalglish, Steven Gerrard, Ian Rush. Um, is Mohamed Salah anywhere near? And it's so difficult when the company playing for you because I find it hard personally to to put someone in that bracket when they're still at the club. I don't know what it is about that, but it's just a weird thing to have. Um, Chloe, is Salah anywhere near that right now? Yep, I think he's... Uh, the clear answer is yeah. Uh, not just is he up there in the question. I think a lot of people would say he is the best we've ever seen in the red shirt. Um, if I didn't have a personal attachment to Stephen Gerrard being a scouser, I think maybe a lot of more, a lot more people would say, yes, Sal is the best you've ever seen. Um, Stephen Gerrard technically, I think, was outrageous. And being a scouser is even better. But the things most Salah can do on a football pitch, um, his speed, his agility. I mean, I just think of the Watford goal where he's got five men around him and he somehow sits them all down and scores. Um, his desire, his passion. Um, he's, he's most definitely up there and what a category to be in because these are legends um, you know, you talk about Steven Gerrard idolised by the majority of this city um, Kenny Daglish has a stand named after him, you talk about Roger Hunt which a lot of people talk about absolutely adored in this football club um, and will be remembered for time and I think Salah's written his name into those history books of one of the best you've ever seen um, I'd say it's hard because I've had a season ticket at the time that Salas came into the yeah, club yeah. more than I like I was I was a kid when Stephen like I was born in 2001 so the first however many years of Stephen Gerrard I didn't even see properly um, 
I just idolised him growing up because I knew what he was about. I knew his technical ability. I knew he was a scouser. Watching Salah week in, week out, he never fails to amaze me. Absolutely never fails to amaze me. So, yeah, for sure, possibly the best Liverpool player I've ever seen. I'd, I'd put him up there tied with Steven Gerrard. Wow. Um, I'm a little bit older than you. So, yeah, uh, it's, it's a really difficult one, like you say. God, it's... But we are. what I will say on it is we are privileged to watch um, Mohamed Salah and this Liverpool side right now. I've seen somebody tweet last night, you know, we can't take this for granted. It won't always be this way. Um, and having watched us under Roy Hodgson, I can definitely vouch for that. Um, Dave, what I really want to ask, you can sort of answer the where is Mohamed Salah and how close is he to that sort of conversation? Chloe thinks he's in it and that's perfectly acceptable and probably right. Um, what I will ask is as well, what does he have to do from here on out? His goals are going to be ridiculous. His numbers are silly. Does he need to take us to another major trophy, maybe another Champions League, another Premier League, both? What is it that he needs to do to sort of cement his legacy at the club? Do you know something that's... The, the question I'm, I'm wrestling with here, um, and I don't really know is the answer, but what's just occurred to me just then is that, you know, Gerard is is up there. I'd say, you know, it is sort of dog leash rush. Gerard um, would be kind of the the three the three greatest um, sort of pre-Salah. And when you think about it, I mean, I think Kenny Dalglish is Liverpool's greatest legend because he's done it as you know a player and a manager. Um, so I think in that respect he's clear. But in terms of the actual as a player, you know, Gerard ultimately, you know, it's not his fault by any means. But we didn't win the Premier League under Gerard, and that is obviously the the stick that a lot of rival fans will will beat him with unfairly. But I think the the point I'm I'm trying to make is that. Just because Salah, you know, if we do fall short this season and we're only a third of the way in, it's still kind of unclear how it's going to pan out and who's going to, who out of the three teams is going to fall short. You know, should it's not, it's not going to be down to Salah. I don't see how, how it would be. So should that detract from it? I think in, in our mindset, we still recognise Gerard. Obviously, he won a Champions League with us, but just because he didn't win the Premier League doesn't mean we don't realise that he effectively was carrying the club on his back for a number of years and we recognise that individually as a player as well. He was unbelievable. Um so I'd like to think that from the Liverpool standpoint, maybe externally Salah has to do that. But I think from our standpoint we can still recognise this individual greatness. Um and even, you know, numbers wise, like I had a look at the end of the season he should be um eighth in the all time scorers list. And then you look at the names who were directly above him after that is Dalglish, Fowler and Gerrard, and they'll probably be in his sights next season. And obviously he's only been here kind of a fraction of the time. So I think he's got, he's certainly got the statistics to back him up. And of course it enhances it if he carries Liverpool back to the title um, that we that we sort of lost last season. But um, I also don't think that it has to necessarily be a, a pre- prerequisite because you know, the way it's looking, if we are through the title, it might be because we're just a tiny bit short um, in a defensive standpoint, because it, obviously going forward, we're the best team probably in the world right now. So, yeah, I think, as I hope that's not the deciding factor, I suppose. 
What I based it on, sorry to jump in, go on, is go on, you're right. I didn't see Kenny Dalglish or these greats, so I've yeah, heard the on. stories absolutely, like, you can go on the stats, like, you can go and see it, you know what Kenny Dalglish meant to this club. I've seen some of the greatest players play for Liverpool, Luis Suarez, who at the time was one of the best in the world, uh, Fernando Torres, absolutely yeah. unreal. And my basis was, if I had to choose between Suarez, Torres and Salah, I'm picking Salah every day of the week. And that might surprise a lot of people because Fernando Torres was my first heartbreak because he left us in the way that he did and I adored him. Luis Suarez, I knew at that time he was too good for us in the sense of we fell short at the Premier League and we thought, could we do, go, could we do it again, basically? Um, and when... He had Barca calling his name with Messi and Neymar. You thought to yourself, he deserves to play there. Okay, I can understand that. And Suarez, if you look at some of the highlights of Suarez, his technical ability is mental. His technical ability might even be better than Salah, but I am putting Salah above both of them. And they're the two best strikers alongside Salah that I've seen. You can add Sadio Mane in there because I think he's been brilliant as well. Um, and, and obviously Firmino, but different roles... Um, and I'd, I'd choose Salah every single day um, out of out of those three. And then you look at, you know, there's a lot of people, I don't know why they say it, but if you were to lose one of your front three, who would you like least likely to lose? Like, who would you hate to lose the most? And mm. It's Salah. It used to be Mane at one point, but it's Salah. Most definitely Salah now. Uh, without his goals last season, I think we would have finished as low as 13th in the league. Um, he's such a clutch player and he comes out with magic um, and he, he is one of the best footballers I've seen in, in like real time um, it's it's unbelievable what he does yeah you're dead right and so you're right to mention like in terms of what you've seen because so much of this conversation no matter who you have it with is based on you know what we've seen in real life and what we've seen since we've been born you know it's difficult to reminisce about things that we weren't around for like obviously I'm the same as you I'm not as old as as the Kenny Dalglish era for instance I remember Gerard very fondly but you know people would tell me my dad my granddad tell me about Dalglish and Hunt and they'll wax lyrical about him and they'll almost put them on the pedestal above the likes of Gerard and Salah but without seeing them in person it's so difficult to do so it's such a difficult conversation for that reason and what I will say is Dave touched upon maybe not needing to win sort of any more major honours um, because obviously Gerard didn't in terms of the Premier League. But for me, I think it's almost got to be a combination of three really important factors, which is sort of numbers and performances kind of come together. Um, longevity, I think, is really important um, and, and trophies. And it's obviously something Doug Leash had all three of for Liverpool. Um Salah's probably got two of them right now, um, and obviously Gerard had all three as well. So I think Salah needs to stay for a little while longer before I can put him top of that sort of list, um, and hopefully he does that with the whole new contract pending situation going on. Um, but it is really difficult, like I say, for lots of reasons because there's so many caveats, personal favourites, etc. But yeah, what I will say is, like I touched on earlier, we are very blessed to have the man right now. Um, and we'll move on from the Salah loving unfortunately, to another man who, quite frankly, is pulling up trees left, right and centre right now, just to finish on the Everton game, um, which is we could probably do all night, but Diogo Jota, um, that finish 
the touch, I mean, someone's going to mention the Torres goal, I'm sure of it, so I won't go too much into it, but it's outstanding, absolutely outstanding. So, on Jota, I'll come to you, Dave, first. Um, I know you're a big fan of his, and pretty much whenever available, regardless of him or Firmino, you pick Jota. So, is he sort of stamping his authority on that first-choice role now, even when Firmino's back fit for you? Well, He's taken the opportunity, hasn't he? I guess that's with, with Firmino being out for a while. There was a chance for, and obviously Klopp will still, you know, he still understands Firmino's value probably better than anyone. Um, but I do think he's really underlined, um, you know, what he contributes because we've seen him in these games, you know, he, he's created chances, he's contributed defensively. He doesn't maybe do those things at the rate that Firmino does, but he, it's not like he's a pure penalty box poacher. Um, you know, he, he does still carry out the false nine all reasonably well. And his, his goal scoring is obviously incredible. Um, and I also think, you know, we paid 40 mil for him, essentially. And I saw someone make this point on, on Twitter last night. Like, how much, you know, I think it's something like 23 Premier League start 17 goals for him now. You know, how much do you have to pay for that kind of goal scoring these days? It's probably close to kind of double what what we paid for them. So it's looking like a pretty outrageous bargain, especially because of the um, the fact he's only 24. And I imagine that he's sort of viewed as the long-term um, centre-forward or, or left-winger, I suppose, in the, in the side. So another great piece of business by Liverpool. And I guess, really, I've already... You know, you alluded to it, Dan. I, I've already said, I think, Jota Zez being there. I think Liverpool are more of a, a threat, bottom line, when Jota's playing alongside Salah and Mane. So I suppose it's almost more interesting to see whether you, your mind has been has been changed at all or whether you think that it's just a case of, well, for me, not actually playing right now and we need to remember um, the qualities he has. Yeah, definitely. I will. I won't give you my verdict on that just yet. I'll get Chloe's opinion first. But what I will say is, I thought last night was his most complete performance in that role. Um, I thought he held up the ball really well. I thought he was strong. I think he showed upper body strength. Um, I think it was Michael Keane trying to fight the ball off him in the area, and he just held him off like he wasn't there and laid it off. His link-up play, it was his most complete performance, like I say, in that role. Um, and it has sort of piqued my interest in terms of him, maybe you'd have right to say he's grabbed his opportunity and maybe he's grabbed it long term. But I'll give you a definitive answer on that after I've heard Chloe's. So go for it. I think obviously form comes into play. And if we're looking at Firmino over the last couple of seasons, he's not been up to the standards that he's set himself. Um, he's missed a lot of opportunities. And every time Jota's came off the bench as an impact sub or um, he's started, he's always implemented, you know, something into the game. He's he stamped his foot on it. Um, and I do think right now he is above Firmino in the running for who's playing at centre-forward. My thing is, is, you know, we, men, we you look at Andy Robbo the other day and the fact that Jürgen Klopp, even though everyone was talking about Tismikas, the first thing Jürgen Klopp was like, well, don't forget about Andy Robbo here. And you know he's going to do that with Roberto Firmino as well. And no one should forget Roberto Firmino. Um, he's so slick. His technical ability is ridiculous. You know, he was 
a very important part of the spine of this Liverpool team. His link-up play, the way he holds the ball deep, his sacrifice for the rest of the team. Um, you know, Bobby Firmino is still an elite footballer. It's just that in form now uh, and the fact that Jota's took his chances, he will, for me, be up front before Firmino. And maybe that changes in the level of team we're playing. If you're playing a Man City, you might, in a sense, want Roberto Firmino to start because you know it's reliable, because you know that the tactic of using Roberto Firmino will work. You know how good they all link up. Um, and you've also got to think, Jota came to us, we went into lockdown, um, he, he didn't get to bond with the rest of the team, he then played with a team that didn't have half the players in that he was supposed to play in, and now that he actually has the players he was supposed to play with in the team, you can see him taking chances, he should have more more goals probably, um, he should have got a hat-trick obviously on the weekend for me, um, mm. and the thing is, these strikers, these forwards, they're always going to get chances because the amount we're creating right now. Um, and if Jota's putting them in the back of the net, I cannot find a reason in me to start Firmino. The only, the only thing I would say is, you know, we did look at last season and everyone was like, I'd rather have Jota as, as an impact sub because he's unbelievable. I think now that's changed. I really do. I think now you're looking at him and you're thinking, my word, the the fact that we've even got the choice of these two players because you think about a couple of seasons ago, Firmino was irreplaceable, absolutely mm-hmm. irreplaceable. Any any one of these from three were irreplaceable, um, and it's just it's good to have options. That's what I'm saying, and I think we should never disrespect or forget what Firmino does, what Firmino is like, how good of a player he is. But Jota has took his chance. Jota has settled in. He's t- like his touch is incredible. He's he can score with both feet. Um, he does have a slight burst of pace. He's technically brilliant. He can get past someone. Um, he's a dancer in the box, very much like Bobby for me now. He's got the strength. Um, he's also got the knowledge now. He knows the the, the runs that the, the players around them are going to make. He creates the space. Um, and it's it's brilliant to watch because I loved him when he played for Wolves. He was just. I just liked him. I never, ever, ever thought we'd buy him, but I liked mm. him as a footballer. And my word, do I love him now. Um, and that touch for the goal. A lot of people talk mm. about the finish. I'm not even bothered about the finish right now. The touch yeah. got me out my seat. Before it even at the back of the net, the touch got me out my seat. I thought it was absolutely incredible. Um, and to then stay calm and, and just have Pickford off at the same time was brilliant. So, yeah, Jota's touch is... is, is well, He's took his chance, and for me, mm. he starts. Yeah, it's a ridiculous finish, just to say. It's even the touch is is sublime, um, and, and to, to just smash it in from that angle is something I couldn't even comprehend, quite frankly. Which says more about his ability than mine. Um, I, I honestly on. think my foot would have broken into it. I decided to hit it like him. I'm not it's even silly. lying. I think someone's face in the crowd might have broke if I'd have had a go at it. If I'm honest, um, <laughs> yeah, just to. I'm still Firmino. I always use the analogy, if you had a Champions League final tomorrow, who would you pick? If you're picking from three, it would be Firmino. Um, Like I say, I think that was Jota's most complete and perfect performance as a false nine last night. I thought his defensive contribution, his link-up, his hold-up play was a lot better. Because I think previously he's almost been like a third winger playing in the middle who likes to pop up and, and score goals, and he has an impact. There's no doubt about that. But for me, last night... 
He did all the things. Well, he did close to all the things Roberto Firmino does when he plays. What I will say, just to finish almost on it, is Jota loves scoring goals. You can tell. He just loves scoring goals, which is obviously a great thing to have in a forward. I've never been convinced that Firmino does. I think, you know, he, he enjoys it. He obviously enjoys scoring goals, but he almost gets a bigger kick out of instrumenting play and setting up goals and creating space for the other players. Um, which is nothing wrong with either of them things, by the way. But certain games and certain times, you'll want one or the other. And like Chloe said, it's great to have options more than anything. Um, and just to finish finally on it, obviously it's a massive plus having Jota in this form as AFCON, African Cup of Nations, approaches. Um, I still don't think his form um, is enough. Even though I've mentioned it's only a couple of games, I still really want to sign someone early January to cover for Manning and Salah. For instance, our front three could be something like Jota, Firmino and Origi, maybe Minamino for a couple of games. I'm not happy with that in the Premier League. Um, we won't go into that now, but that's not that's not for me that. Um, what we will go into now instead, and you feel free to pull me up on it if you want, um, is the Wolves preview. Um, so Dave, I'll come immediately to you on this. Um, Preferred lineup, I suppose. We've kind of alluded to it ever so slightly just there. But yeah, your preferred lineup for Wolves, please, mate. Um, well, even though it's a quick turnaround from uh, Wednesday night to Saturday afternoon, I'd actually be comfortable going um, with an unchanged team. And that's because uh, we've obviously got a, another Champions League uh, dead rubber, I suppose, against Milan in midweek. Um and whilst we won't be totally second string um, at the San Siro, I do think that we should see both full backs, one centre back, at least one midfielder and at least one forward um, get rotated out of the lineup for that one. Mm-hmm. I think in terms of the turn around Wednesday to Saturday this week, you'd probably be most worried about players like Matip and Thiago. But Matip didn't play against Southampton last mm-hmm. weekend, obviously, so it's not going to be three games in a week for him. And Thiago's been getting uh, subbed off reasonably early as well by Klopp. So I'd like to think that they can both make this one. Uh, so, yeah, personally, I'd go with an unchanged team, make changes in midweek, and then hopefully back to uh, full strength again for the uh, game against Villa the following weekend. Yeah, that, that Milan game in midweek is such an important factor in this. Like when I was picking my team earlier, it instantly came to mind. Oh, it's okay. We can rest and rotate in mid- midweek, which just shows you how important it was and something we haven't done a lot under Klopp to qualify early from the Champions League. It's just great. Gives us great flexibility. Um, Chloe, same for you. Are you unchanged or are you making a couple from last night? Um, as long as everyone's fit and healthy, then I'm absolutely sound with that. Um, I want the best team on the pitch and that is the best team. Uh, the Champions League game for me is not important. I'd like to win, yeah, sure. I think it's good for momentum, but I think they're going to make that many changes that, you know, it's kind of like, okay, let's see what we can do here. Um, Wolves is very much more important. And also, if we do get ahead in the game and, you know, we've scored quite a bit, so if, if we do get two, three goals up and we're feeling good about it, you can bring James Milner on. You can bring Ox on. You know, you can give Canate everyone else. It says Mikas. You know, we've got players, Origi, Takumi Minamino, who's actually really impressed me when he's came on the pitch. Um, so, you know, as long as with 20, 25 minutes to go, uh, you, you're fairly comfortable in the game. You think you're going to mm. do well. 
we've got the we've got a bit more depth than you know we had when um we had a load of injuries we've not got the same depth of city but i think we've got enough there for a bit of rotation with 20 25 minutes to go give people a rest who need it and obviously you're seeing that hendo and tiago do need a rest they're getting in the 30s um and also the midfield is workaholic isn't it it is one of the hardest things to do um so yeah i think it's it's got to be unchanged unless there's any little niggles um and then just for for milan you give those who are coming back from injury time mm-hmm. those who maybe haven't started the game like ox who can feel a bit hard done by um and and you just move from there and you try and manage the players but you still have got to put out the best team you can in the premier league because mm-hmm. one slip up and the two above you will capitalize yeah, definitely. Um, it's actually a clean sweep, but unchanged. Um, and I think the Milan factor has a huge part to play in that. Like I said, you're right to mention Oxley Chamberlain can definitely feel hard done by. Um, I did consider Canate for Matip, but Dave said right didn't play against Southampton, so the need for that isn't quite as desperate as it might have been. Um, so yeah, nice clean sweep, Chloe. I'll come straight back to you. Um, just a quick sort of impression of Wolves so far this season. What you expect from the game? And obviously that all-important score prediction. To be honest, I enjoyed the loves under Nuno. Um, and they got off to kind of a rough start at the beginning. They went under the radar and all of a sudden, they're in the top half of the table near the Champions League places. You know, I think they're about mid-table, high six, seven. You know, they're really doing well for themselves. Um, and they've got Raul Jimenez back, who's a great player. Ruben Neves, unreal. Moutinho, mm. great. They've got, um, obviously, Trinacal, I think it is. Um, yeah. They've got star quality. They've got Podence, you know, that Pedro Neto, who I absolutely cry every time. He went celebrating around the gaffer Anfield, and then it got disallowed after he went absolutely <laughs> mental. Brilliant. Tight VAR um, offside, that one. Yeah, yeah. I don't know if that should have been given, but it was, and it was funny. Um, but, yeah, very good team. Great energy. Um, I like them, and I'm... You know, they will give us a hard game, but I'm still going to stay positive because this is Liverpool and if I'm not backing my team, then what is the point? Uh, so I'm most definitely going to go for a win. I'm going to say we probably won't score as many. Uh, two, two or three nil for me. Okay. Two or three nil. Okay, fair dues. Um, I'll come to you first, Dave, before I give you my uh, prediction and assessment of all so far. I think Chloe said, right, by the way, they did struggle early season under Bruno Large, but they've definitely turned it around recently. And every time we go to Molyneux, it's hard work. So what do you think, Dave? Well, it's interesting because I remember when Wolves first um, first came up, they had that, that season where they are basically a bit of a, a giant killer um, yeah. and they were doing better against the big six um, than they were against the other sides around them in, in mid-table. But I think I'm right in saying we've we've beat them every time since they were promoted. Um, so you'd expect that eventually we are gonna um, slip up against them because you know they've always been a you know a dangerous team and a solid sort of. As, I mean they finished obviously seventh and slipped down a bit last season, but this season looks like they could certainly be top half again. Um, they've only scored. I don't. They've only scored twelve goals, um, which is 18th in the prem. So. That's really poor, but apparently no team has um, underperformed their expected goals more than than they have. So it's probably a question of finishing rather than not being able to create the chances. 
and then on the other side they've only conceded 12 which is actually the same amount that that we have as well um so to me i'm looking at statistics like that and i'm thinking it's going to be reasonably tight um and we might not um blow them out the water so i've gone for a 2-1 win to us i think especially as well you know with it being at the end of this three games in mm. in a week and it being saturday wednesday sunday as well and not having that extra day of breathing room it could be one of those games where you maybe do see it being a bit ugly as well i think in the season we won the league um when we went there in the january um they did play really well and we got um like Firmino scored late Firmino the, uh, goal yeah left yes him, scored yeah, the winner and it, it was kind of one of those you know vintage ugly wins and it wouldn't surprise me if we got uh something kind of similar on saturday yeah i agree we might have to dig deep um but like like you say that's you have to go to the well a few times if you're going to win anything really um certainly a premier league um just a like, final say on Wolves, from my point of view, they are a good side. They're definitely a dangerous side. Chloe's right to mention Pedro Neto. I think I'm pretty sure, confident he'll still be out injured, unfortunately for them, and probably fortunately for us. Um, my main fear is always Adama Traore, which is ridiculous because his end product, don't really want to say it right now, but his end product isn't probably what it should be. But he just terrifies me because he's so fast and so strong. Um, and I know Virgil van Dijk is probably his equal when it comes to that, but there's something about him that just really scares me. Um, but having said all that, I am going to go Liverpool to win 2-0, um, just because I think we're in a good moment right now, um, and we probably will continue to capitalise on it. Uh, and I actually think playing a lot of games suits us quite often, so hopefully that's still the case. Um, but yeah, that will be all we've got time for this week. I'll get a final word from... Both my co-hosts, I'm not sure that even works. The triumphant of hosts. Um, Dave, anything from you to finish, mate? Well, the games are obviously uh, coming really thick and fast yes. now. I think it um, be nice on um, on Tuesday, is it next week? Tuesday, I'm not sure if it's Tuesday or Wednesday. But I think it's nice. a Wednesday, pretty sure it's a Wednesday. Yeah, it'll be nice to have that uh, game that you can just kind of look forward to, given the magnitude of it without having any pressure. And obviously... The chance to uh, rotate, like we said before. Yeah, definitely. I think you know, obviously, having watched the FC Porto game in a similar sort of relaxed manner, it was really quite pleasant. And it's nice to see some players we don't see all the time. You know, we all wax Liverpool about Tyler Morton the morning after. So hopefully, it'll be the same again. Uh, Chloe, anything from you before we head off? Just that it's my favourite time of the year, and my favourite time of the year. Not just because it's it's Christmas, but also because the amount of football that is played, yeah. I absolutely live and breathe for it. And so do this football team, and so do these players. Um, they're some of the fittest lads you'll ever see. So as long as we keep them healthy and we're able to rotate, um, get through this Christmas period. And I think if if we keep on track, um, I think we can close the the, the gap at the top and potentially um go above the other two teams because. Mm-hmm. Um, I think Chelsea against Watford got a bit lucky. Obviously yeah, but City. I think Tuchel said that himself, didn't he? Yeah. Yeah. Um, City have obviously got the quality there. You don't have an out-and-out striker though, so they can come undone at times. Um, you know, Southampton obviously took points off them earlier on in the season. Uh, so yeah, I just live and breathe football, and let's hope that at the end of it, um, we're the ones in in first place. Yeah, definitely. Um, and yeah, that'll be all for this week. But yeah, just to say, enjoy the football because like Chloe says, this is definitely the best time of the year for it. So yeah, we'll be back next week 
to reflect on Wolves and that AC Milan game. Um, but until then, take care.